Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 34, D-Day Take 2. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Today is March 1st. I thought I was going to have three episodes in February, the shortest month of all, but no, unfortunately, last week ended up being pretty busy and it's taking me three weeks to get this episode out, so here we're in March. Today's episode is an interesting one because I'm talking about a game I've already talked about once, sort of. Well, maybe more than sort of. I am talking about D-Day Dice. Last time, which is about a year and a half ago, I talked about D-Day Dice, the free print-and-play edition. This time, I'm talking about the official published edition by Valley Games. Today's episode is going to be a short episode. Originally, I had hoped to talk about D-Day Dice and maybe talk about some history of World War II and maybe tell you all about D-Day and had grand plans to read about it and all that, and I never found the time to read about D-Day. I downloaded the book on my Nook. It's about 30 pages long, and I think I maybe got as far as page 10. I just, I'm finding it hard to read these days. I used to love reading lately. I just don't read as much. Anyway, I said to myself, I had plans to talk about D-Day, about D-Day history, and I haven't been able to do that because I haven't found the time. What in the world am I going to talk about? And then it hit me. Short games. Five-minute games. If I don't have time to read a book, then maybe only have time for five-minute games. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at a bunch of really short games. But before that, the news, brief news today. First off, Naufragos will be available in March worldwide. It's a co-op game about castaways stranded on an island. Naufragos is a Spanish word for castaway. But this is a 1-4 to four player game. It is designed by Alberto Corral. And he is the same person that did the solitaire segments on El Tablero podcast, which I had mentioned uh, a while ago. Second, there was a request earlier this week for playtesters for a game called Quest, an expandable card game. I'm going to include links to the blog for that game, so if you're interested in it, you can look more into it. That's it. That's all the news I've come across in the last three weeks. Okay, as I said, I'm going to talk about five-minute games. I've come up with a list of 12 different games that all play under five... Well, most of them play under five minutes. I, I cheat a little bit here. But all these games pretty much can be played in five minutes. Now, this doesn't include the setup time. I'm assuming that you took the 20 minutes it took to set up all the pieces and all that, and then you spent the next five minutes playing the game. A few of these games, you you play through, and either you win or you lose to the end, and the contained game is five minutes. A few of them are meta games, and that you're going to play and try and beat your high score from previous plays. So, one sitting is five minutes, but really to... To get scores that matter and are meaningful, take multiple plays, multiple plays over time. And then a third set of games are timed games where you just play for five minutes and then see how many points you got. I think for all these games, or at least this style of playing in five minutes, these are games you want to store somewhere accessible. If they're hard to get at and out of the way, you're probably never going to bother playing them. You know, it's not worth the trouble digging through a shelf or a closet or something to find this game when you only play it for five minutes so they don't get much use. If they're out front and accessible, you might find you'll pick it up here and there randomly, just play for five minutes and then put it away until the next time. Obviously none of the games are very deep, they're all entertaining and to some extent. So anyway, let me jump through the list now. First up was Yahtzee. I think I talked about uh, Yahtzee and Yahtzee-like games a couple episodes ago. A couple might mean four or five, I don't remember at this point. But yeah, it's a game you can play in five minutes. You just keep rolling dice until you fill up the all the rows in the score pad, and then you check your score. So this is one of those examples where 
the the game, the solitaire game, is really a meta game. You want to see how you did compared to other plays. And I don't think it's the sort of thing where you want to write it down and keep a history for a couple of years necessarily and see how you've done over all that time. It's Honestly, it's kind of cheating here because it's not really a five-minute thing now that I think about it. You want to play two or three times and see how you did those two or three and which was your best and all that. It's sort of like you want to play, get a score, and then try and play again and see if you can beat it. Next up is another solitaire Yahtzee-like game, Fistful of Penguins. This one is sort of Yahtzee-like but very different. It's very mathy. You're rolling dice, and depending on what animals you get, you'll get points. Kind of Yahtzee, but not really. It's Yahtzee, and you could re-roll, but really you could re-roll as many times as you've got dice to re-roll. The game is super fast, because you play three rounds of rolling, and then you total your score for that. There are potentials for lots of re-rolls in each round, but I think most rounds you'll just have a couple. So the way it works is you roll the dice, and you're going to have a bunch of animals, and different combinations of animals are going to be worth points. You, know, like you might add up all the lions together, or I don't remember exactly how it is, but you you might count mooses unless moose. You might count moose unless you have squirrels. Each squirrel cancels out a moose or something like that. And then there's penguins. If you roll a penguin, you could get a penguin counter. It's a little cool plastic acrylic penguin. And you could use these counters to re-roll any number of your dice or to add dice to your pool that you're rolling. So you're going to do roll your round. Once you decide to stop rolling because you have no more penguins or because you don't want to spend your penguins, you add up your points, you go on to the next round. And then you do this three times and you're done. Yeah, it's fun, it's fast, and it's easy. Next up is Boggle. Okay, um, not much of a game, but if you like word games, this is decent. The way I would play this solo is, in, as a five-minute game, is set a five-minute timer and play and see how many words... How many points I can make in five minutes? And then now you've got a metagame again. Try and beat that next time. Or you could just shake the box once and see how many points you could get on a single on a single roll of dice. It's not a terribly deep game, but it's okay fun. Number four, Trivial Pursuit. I think I've mentioned this one before as a solitaire activity. This is the sort of thing where you're going to pull out some trivia cards and see how many you could get right. Just sort of take out a card, read the question, Answer it, flip the card over and see if you got it right. And just keep doing this, drawing cards and answering questions until you get bored of it. You could keep scoring that sort of thing if you want. But honestly, I think it's funny enough to just go and answer questions and go out and not worry about any sort of score, win or lose. So number four is Trivial Pursuit. Number five, Lord of the Rings, the adventure deck game. This is probably one of the most real game experiences on this list. This is a free print and play game. I bought a deck through ArtsCow last year, and it's a push-your-luck game, and it's it really does play in about five minutes, and it's pretty fun. It's got nice artwork on the get cards, and you're basically trying to, to go on a quest and get to the end. The way the game works is you start with a card and has four directions on it, up to four directions, I think, and each direction has a number, and the number tells you how far you're traveling or how many cards you're going to draw. You choose the direction you want to go, and then you're going to draw that number of cards, and the cards you draw are going to tell you how much damage the cards give you. Once you've drawn the number of cards you need to, you're going to take that much damage and subtract it from Frodo's health. If Frodo runs out of health, you lose the game. If not, you take another round. The, the last card you drew now has four directions again, up to four directions, and you pick another one again. You could choose to go f- faster, which you're more likely to finish, but you're also more likely to die. Or you could choose to go slowly, which is safer, and you're less likely to die, but you're less likely to finish. 
a lot of the cards also have special effects. So as you're drawing, they might tell you to cancel out certain cards or double all the cards or things like that. You could also take an action to rest, which will heal damage on Frodo. There's day phases and night phases to the game. So there's quite a lot of choices, and it's pretty fun, and it's a neat little push-your-luck game. And you can play it in five minutes. That's the Lord of the Rings, the adventure deck game. Number six is Proton by Looney Labs. This is basically uh, one of these 15 puzzles with the little sliding pieces. It's a square with 16 spaces and a grid. And in those 16 spaces are 15 little cubes. So you have those 15 tiles and 16 spaces. There's always one empty space. And you could slide any of the tiles next to it into the empty space. All the tiles are numbered 1 through 15 and you could rearrange them. The idea is to rearrange them in order. So Proton is a game that uses this this 15 tile grid. But instead of numbers, there's lines on it. Red lines or white lines. And the idea is to connect them from the start to finish and try and connect both colors. Now the game says it has solo rules, but it's sort of just about trying to, to play with the grid and have fun with it for a little while. And then when you're bored, you put it down. And it just happens to be that after about five minutes of doing this, you'll probably get bored and put the game away for another year. But, you know, for those five minutes, it's pretty neat. It's pretty fun. I've always enjoyed 15 puzzles. And this is just another little variant on them. Number seven is Set. This is the pattern matching card game in which, and I know I've talked about this one before too, but the cards have three different shapes, three different colors, three different states, as in empty filled or hashed and three different numbers of shapes it could be one shape two shape or three shape and the idea is you play a bunch of cards on the table about i think 12 of them and then you try and find three cards that either have for each of those attributes i mentioned all the same or all different when you find three cards that meet that criteria you take them off the grid and set them aside as points and then you draw three more cards into the fill the empty spaces and again, this is a game where you'll just play for five minutes until your time runs out and then see how many sets you found. Now, actually, I know there's a version for Android, which I had bought at one point, and it did have a time mode in it, and it played basically like that. So yeah, so set is another one. Number eight, this is a bit different than everything else so far, is Rory's Story Cubes. If you're not familiar with those, this is a set of nine dice. Each die has a different picture on each face. So there's a total of 54 different pictures. And the idea is you roll them up and get the images and then... It's not really... I don't think it's a game so much as a... I don't think it's a game so much as an interactive toy. Honestly. And you could use it for games and that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, there's some solitaire role-playing game rules to use with Rory Story Cubes. Which I've been wanting to try but haven't been able to yet. But if you're going to play this as a 5-minute solo game, I think the way I would do it is... Come up with some sort of scenario, maybe decide up front. I'm going to make a story about superheroes and the hero has to win a certain way or something like that. And then roll the dice and using that combination of dice, try and make a story that meets my criteria. You know, with these dice, you can come up with lots of different ways to play. And I think many are working five minutes. Roll the dice and just come up with a story or... Come up with three stories, each using one, each story using three dice, and maybe the who, what, where, and when. So one die is a who, one's a what, one's a when. Um, so that's Rory Story Cubes. And there are three different sets right now. There is the original ones, there's travel, and there's actions. 
And you could use one set or combined sets as you wish and, you know, just play with them and roll them and have fun. Number nine is Spot It. This is a card game by Blue Orange Games in which you have a bunch of cards and each card has a bunch of symbols on it. Could be, and there are all sorts of symbols, spider web, a car, a question mark, and so on and so forth. And any two cards you draw will always have exactly one symbol that's the same across them. And the way the game works is you, you have a card in your hand and you have a stack of cards in the middle. Or you have a hand of cards and one in the middle. I don't think it necessarily matters, but, but you try and compare your card against the one in the middle and find the symbols the same. When you find it, you take the card from your hand and score it as a point, take the card in the middle into your hand, and flip over another card in the middle and repeat. And you keep doing this until you run out of time. At five minutes, you stop and see how many points you got. So that was number nine, Spot It. Number ten is another thematic game. This is Escape of the Dead minigame. This is pretty neat. This is a, a game you could print out. It's one sheet of paper. And there's much fancier, more deluxe versions, too, that you can make if you want. But it's a neat little die-rolling game. Basically, the zombie apocalypse has arrived, and you're trapped in your house, and zombies are trying to get at you. And what you need to do is fix your car to escape. The way the game works is, each turn there's a number of zombies that appear, and you have to roll to kill them. There's a... Your car they have to repair, you have to... Roll dice to repair it. Each time you su succeed, you'll repair it by 10%. So you basically have to succeed 10 times. And then you have a barrier you're trying to maintain. If the zombies destroy the barrier, they'll get to you and kill you. And the barrier starts full at 10. So each turn, you you got four dice to roll. You're going to decide to which of those three actions you're going to dedicate the dice. And, you know, you could split it up. You could say, I'm going to use two dice for zombies and two to fix cars or, or whatever combination makes sense at the time. And you roll them, and and if you roll the right numbers, each of those succeeds. For example, killing zombies or fixing your barricade always succeeds on a 3, 4, 5, or 6, while fixing your car in the garage only succeeds on a 5 or 6. Also, to make the game more challenging, as you're more successful fixing your car, you reach different uh, milestones where now more zombies start appearing each turn. At first, it's only one each turn, and then two, then three, and then four. It's a five-minute game. It's fast, and it's fun. And there's a Flash version that you could download from BGG and try it out on your computer. I tried it out this evening. I like the graphics. It's a little hard to figure out how to play it at first, but you'll figure that out in less than five minutes. So that's number 10. Number 11 is a role-playing game called The Clock Strikes. It's a one-sheet role-playing game. It's a solitaire role-playing game. And I will say I tried it out once. I find it hard to get into, but the idea is you're a clock... Here, let me read the description to you. You are a clock. Not just a clock, but a clock. You are special. You've hung in the wall for months, keeping perfect time. Until now. A week ago, your battery started to run down. Your second hand began to hang just a blink too long in the ticks. Before you knew it, you're a whole 30 seconds slow. This is unacceptable, and you're not going to stand for it. There you go, that's the story. Your goal is to get across the house and get new batteries. And it's a role-playing game that you play on one sheet of paper. Number 13, finally, is the game I said I was going to cheat on because it doesn't really play in five minutes if you succeed. It is called The Chronicles of Arax. It's also a role-playing game. In this game, it's a... Well, 
this is a fantasy game, and in this game, you actually make a character, and then you go through a dungeon. It's a pretty simple game. It's, you know, about as challenging as a choose-your-own-adventure book, I think. But uh, but what you do is you roll a, die, a, ten, a d10, and it's going to give you a number, and then you look it up in a chart, and that's your encounter, the room you enter that turn in the dungeon. Then, you know, if you fight monsters or do stuff, you'll have to roll some dice to decide the outcome of that. And then you'll roll die again, and on your second roll, you add one to whatever number you rolled. On your third roll, you add two. On your fourth roll, you add three, so on and so forth. Until you make it to room number 20, once you succeed room number 20, you win the game. Now, it uses a full complement of polyhedral dice, all, you know, D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, and D20. So it's pretty neat that way. Like I said, the game is pretty simplistic. The combat is, you know, slightly involved. You roll die for yourself for, you roll die for each character for the attack, one for yourself, one for the guy you're trying to fight. Whoever has the highest number wins. Depending on the weapon you have, you might have a better or worse die than your opponent, so it'll impact how likely you are to fight, to win the fight. Whoever wins a fight then gets to attack and do damage. So you roll again for each person, one for attack and one for defense. And then whoever lo- the result of that, that tells how much damage that character takes. So I tried the game last night uh, to refresh my memory on it. I played two games. The first one was just under five minutes. The second game was about five and a half. I lost both pretty badly, actually. If you are going to succeed, it's going to take... Maybe 10 or 12 minutes. Maybe 15. But seeing how hard it was, I don't know. I think it might not be that unfair to say it's a 5-minute game. Now, one thing that's neat is it has the ability to advance. So if you succeed, you get experience points and then go through the dungeon again. And now you might be a little bit stronger if you've leveled up. And also, there is there is a free version which has the rules. And you download that and has the introductory adventure and a basic adventurer, adventurer class character. You could buy other modules, other types of characters, or spell books, equipment books, and a few other dungeons, and each module is $1. So it's not very much money. And, you know, you try the free game. If you decide you like it enough, you know, spend a dollar for whatever add-ons you want to get. So that's it. That's my list of five-minute games. I think talking about this took more like 20 minutes. So look at that. In as much time as I talked about it, I could have played four of these games. So as I said, today's game is D-Day Dice. It is by Manuel Akin, and it is published by Valley Games. It was published in 2012. I talked about this game before. I talked about it in November of 2011 when there was a Kickstarter campaign going on for this game. And what I talked about was a little bit about the Kickstarter campaign and then about the print-and-play version of the game. The rules for the print-and-play and this version are basically the same, the difference being... I think the difference being that in this version you have more options in terms of equipment and other things and maps to play on. The print and play version brings two maps. This one I think brings eight. So this game supports one to four players. I am of course talking about just the solitaire version of the game today. You know, in another episode I actually did an unboxing of it also. I don't remember what episode that is. But I went through and unboxed it when I got my Kickstarter package and I described everything that was in there, including all the Kickstarter promos. Today I'm not going to talk about the Kickstarter stuff, just the basic game. Is that's all that's really available to somebody that tries to buy it 
at their friendly local game store now. So this game brings eight boards, what's four double-sided boards with eight maps. It brings a nice rule book. It brings uh, player reference sheets, little score thingies with wheels on them, five dice per player, and a bunch of cards for equipment and and specialists and vehicles. So this game is about D-Day Beach. The goal is to storm the beaches of Normandy and get to the bunker defending the beaches and destroy the bunker so that the rest of the troops can land behind you. The game is a, di- a dice rolling game, and that's pretty much the main mechanic in the game. So let me describe the map a little bit. The map is divided into rows. Now the number of rows might vary from map to map. Your goal is to move forward from row to row. Each row is also subdivided into horizontal segments, so you can move left and right. Not every row is divided this way, but most are. And the way it works, each turn, you're going to roll your dice. You're going to roll six dice. Two dice are red, two are white, and two are blue. This is called the red-white-blue system. And each die, each face has a different symbol. And some one of the Two of the faces give you more units. One face gives you stars, which lets you recruit specialists. Another face gives you tools, which lets you buy items. And another face has badges, which they call courage. And those are used to advance on the map. And the last face has skulls, which are generally bad for you. So as you do, so what you're going to do is you're going to roll the six dice and set exactly two of those aside. Then you're going to roll the remaining dice again, set any number of those aside, separate from the first two, and then roll last time if you still have any dice remaining and set those aside with a second batch. The reason you keep the first two aside by themselves is because some abilities let you roll the rest of the dice, but not the first two. <coughs> so once you've uh, so once you've rolled your dice and you've got your six dice set, you're then going to collect attributes for each face. For example, if you get a, a, a the star, that gets one leadership, and you add one leadership to your counter. If you get one troop guide, it's going to give you one more troop. If you get two troop guide, a die with two troop icons, then you can add two to your thing. But also, and this is the neat thing, if you roll three of the same symbols with three different colored dice, so if you have one, like for example, one red star, one white star, and one blue star, that's called a red, white, blue roll, and that's going to give you something special. What you get depends on which symbol it is. For example, if you roll the the double troop icon in a red, white, blue, that would normally give you, they'll give you six extra troops on top of the icon you roll to actually get 12 troops. So you're going to roll these dice, then the next phase of the game, you're going to do upkeep, which is tally up all these things you picked up and put them on your on your little counter thing with the wheel, the little counter wheel thing. You're also, if you get a straight, which I've never done and has never occurred to me, which means all six symbols are different, you get to choose an award. And I've never, I never remember about that. And just, I don't always seem to want to go for the red, white, blues. But I should try that next time I play. And also during the second phase, you adjust your, your marker. On the board, you're going to play a marker. The marker is actually a six-sided die. And it's got four phases for movement, plus two more phases. The first phase has one arrow. Really, it's a chevron. But the second phase is two, and the third phase is three. And then the fourth phase has a move symbol saying you have to move. So then this the end of this upkeep phase, you're going to flip this to the next phase. If it has reached the, the must-move symbol, this turn you're going to have to move. Otherwise, you could usually stay in that space for a few rounds. So once you finish the upkeep, you're then going to 
recruit specialists and buy items. You're going to spend these uh, stars and tools that you found and buy cards. Each card has a different cost depending on what it is. The specialist costs from 1 through 4 and the items cost from, I guess, 1 to 20 depending on the item. The more it costs, the better these things are. The specialists give you special abilities that you could use every turn. For example, one of them lets you change the color of a die after you finished rolling. So, for example, you had uh, rolled three badges, a red badge, a white badge, and a white badge. You can then say, I'm going to change one of my white to blue. And now you have a red, white, blue of badges. And you could use this every single turn. They also count as a troop, which is important, and I'll tell you that when we get to the combat phase. The items are one-use things you could buy. They tend to be a little bit more powerful than the troops, I mean, based on the cost, I guess. But you can only use them once, and then you have to discard it. So that's the, the purchase phase. Each turn you could buy one equipment and one specialist, if I remember right. You could also buy awards. I didn't know that. The awards cost six courage. I've always spent my courage for... um I've always spent my courage just to move forward. Huh. Well, anyway, the next phase is the move. If, you, if you've if you gotten past the third chevron and you now have to move, you go ahead and advance. You could either go forward or horizontally. You cannot enter a space you've already been into. There's certain symbols, like, for example, there's mines and some of the between the spaces, so you have to roll as you do go through there. And there might be a couple other symbols I don't remember right now. I'm looking at a board, and this board is the introductory one, so it doesn't have too much. If you advance, there's also a symbol of badge telling you a badge is telling you how many badges you have to spend to advance to that next row. So if you get to a situation where you have to advance but you don't have the badges for it, you lose the game automatically. The last phase finally is combat. Each space has a number in a shield, and that is how many troops you lose that turn. As you advance to the map, the number tends to go up. You could either use your troops that you road and have been keeping track of on your counter or you could use your specialist which you'll tend to avoid doing that if you can help it and that's that's the whole game you go through that repeating that over and over until you get to the end and at the end when you get to the bunker that has a number a combat number also and if you survive through that combat phase and lose that number of troops you win the game sounds pretty simple and it's pretty straightforward there's, like I said, there's eight different maps. Each have different obstacles and the layouts are different. So the strategies end up being different. There's a few other things like some spaces you cannot stop in over for a turn. Once you enter it, you have to move out of it that next turn. There's machine gun fire spaces that have a little crosshairs icon. If you are in that space, you roll a six-sided die and lose that, whatever number you roll, you lose that many more troops during the combat phase. And there's other stuff. So I gotta say, I like this game. I've played it a few times. I started playing through all the maps in order, and I think I kind of lost track on which maps I've played. The maps seem to get harder as you go along, and that's pretty neat. The first few maps were kind of easy. Once you kind of get the hang of a good strategy, you'll find it's pretty easy. But from what I've read online, it's actually really hard at first until you figure out the strategy. and Maybe almost frustratingly hard. But I really like the game. It's easy to play. Setup is maybe 10 minutes at most. And you choose your map, and then you play probably for about 15 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes, and you can play a couple times. And I'm, I always find the, the experience satisfying. I've enjoyed every single game of this I've played. I think I've played five or six only so far. Honestly, just haven't found time to play a lot more. Each map will tell you which specialist you can bring into it, because there's there's a bunch of specialist cards, for example, and a bunch of item cards. 
there are, and it doesn't apply so much in the solitaire game, but there's some shared specialists, which anybody can draw from that, and then there's unique specialists, and each player has his own set of unique specialists. So if you had two people playing, and the unique specialist minesweepers in it, we could each have the minesweeper. But then for the shared specialists, uh, for example, the medic, once somebody gets a medic, nobody else can get that because there's only one medic card. The equipment works the same way. There's special equipment and regular equipment, but they are all unique in the game. Once somebody gets it, it's out of the game. I might be wrong on that. It might be You might be able to rebuy it once it's been used, but I don't think so. So that's basically the game. Besides the basic game, there's a bunch of stuff that came out with Kickstarter. I'm not going to talk about the stuff that's Kickstarter only because that doesn't help anybody that doesn't already have the game. There is an expansion on BGG, the Flare Pouch expansion, and it brings a small tiny deck of cards. I think it has like six cards in it. I haven't opened mine yet, so I don't know what's in it. And there's a there's a couple other expansions that were available to Kickstarter buyers, but will be released at some point. One of them is to add a person playing the German side, so it turns it from a cooperative game to a semi-cooperative game, so does, that doesn't apply much here. Then there's another expansion that adds more maps that are usable in solitaire play. All the games I've played, I've only played as one person. I haven't played as two or three. I have found that satisfying in this game. That ends up being a little bit weird because some of the cards say share things between players. Some of the specialists do, for example. And if people are in the same space, you could share stuff. So you lose those abilities. And it's kind of weird when you read it in the car. Though even the rules tell you, if you see that, you ignore it. And whenever there's an ability that says it applies to one of the other players, you apply it to yourself. For example, one of the red, white, blue rolls tells you to give one of the other players extra troops on top of whatever you rolled for yourself. If you're playing solo, it, the rules specifically say you give it to yourself. Don't give it to anybody else. So like I said, I like this game. It is very nicely produced. All the components are good quality. You get all the boards. The four double-sided boards. The rule book is really nice with a textured cover, and it sort of looks like a really old military journal. Or regulations book, as it says on the cover. The game also brings some tokens. I have not used them yet. I th they apply to specific scenarios, which I haven't gotten to those, as I've been trying to play them in order. But they are there. Okay, so that's it. That is D-Day Dice. I hope you enjoyed hearing about it all over again. Hopefully I'll be back in a couple weeks, and I'm planning on talking about Dungeon Crawler, which is a collectible card game. I am looking forward to that. I've started reading through it and playing, well, and setting it up in front of me to get an idea how it feels. This is a game I've been looking forward to trying for, for a little while now. Alright, see you next time. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening. <laughs>